Hey, it's Emily. And it's Kayla. And you're listening to Two Jane Does. This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Jane Doe's. This week we're going to give you a little mini-sode because by the time you hear this the holiday will have already come and gone but at the beginning of this holiday weekend we find ourselves very busy and since we had two pretty heavy longer episodes the last couple of weeks we figured we'd bring you something smaller and uh it's actually not easier to digest at all. This is actually a pretty terrible case, but it's it's shorter. <laughs> it's a little mini murder, if you will. <clears throat> not that it's mini at all, but it's a small murder case. <laughs> <laughs> so for this case, we're jumping across the pond to England. And this is the case of, well, this is the murder of Kelly Ann Bates. I came across this while I was researching cases that we might want to do for the podcast. And when I read up on this, I was like just horrified. But at the same time, I couldn't find that much information on it. So that's why it's a mini sode. So Kellyanne Bates was born May 18, 1978 in Hattersley, England, which is a small town 10 miles east of Manchester. And Kellyanne's parents were Margaret and Tommy Bates. Kellyanne's parents obviously adored her, and she was known as a kind and thoughtful girl who loved children and wanted to be a teacher when she grew up. Kellyanne was very close with her parents and had a strong relationship with them. However, this blissful, beautiful family dynamic would come crumbling to pieces when she begins dating a boy named Dave Smith. Kellyanne instantly became smitten with Dave and they quickly began a relationship. As most teenagers would, Kelly hid many details of her and Dave's relationship from her parents, because why would you want your parents to know every little detail about your relationship? Exactly. Mom, died. leave me alone. Yeah, so you don't need to know what's going on in my life. Boys don't actually have cooties. God. <laughs> <laughs> However, Margaret and Tommy just assumed that Kellyanne was a happy teenage girl dating a teenage boy from school. When Kellyanne started sneaking out at night, sometimes not returning for days, Margaret and Tommy's alarms went off that something wasn't right. Kellyanne wasn't keeping her relationship from her parents because she didn't want them in her business. But because Dave wasn't a teenage boy, as Margaret and Tommy had thought, she was actually dating a 32-year-old man. Super skeevy. She's 16. He's 32. 
that's twice her age, I would die. But let's go back for one moment and cover some background on Dave Smith. I mean, wait a minute. Uh, James Patterson Smith. That's right. Dave Smith wasn't even his real name. And no, he's not a 32-year-old man like Kellyanne had told her parents. He's actually 45 years old. James Patterson Smith was born in 1948. He was an unemployed divorcee. I couldn't find much background information on him, but what I did find was that he was described as well-groomed and didn't smoke or drink. However, if you look at the picture, the real grainy, shitty picture I put on our Instagram, he does not look well-groomed or capped to me. No, he kind of looks like a hobo, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Smith, or James Patterson Smith, had a marriage that ended after 10 years in 1980 due to his violence toward his wife. Shortly after, Smith had an affair with a 20-year-old woman named Tina Watson. During this affair, Smith used Tina as a punching bag, even severely beating her while she was pregnant with his child. Which is just terrible. And it's pretty shitty of a person to do that. I mean, you got a woman who's carrying your own child and you're still going to beat on her? I don't understand. But, alas, Tina ended the affair after Smith tried to drown her in a bathtub as she bathed. Tina herself even stated that in the beginning it was just a tap here and there, but by the end it was every day that Smith was smacking her in the face, hitting her over the head with an ashtray, or kicking her in the legs. Which, I was actually listening to a... Crime Junkie uh, podcast episode today after they had covered a case and this particular episode was on domestic violence and they had a survivor tell her story and how she's an advocate and she speaks publicly about her story and the violence that she endured and one of the things she pointed out was when they first start, you know, when you first begin a relationship with this person who is a domestic batterer or a predator, they are super charming. They're everything you want and more. And then they slowly start isolating you away from people, not letting you go places, do things that you want to do. And then it just escalates from there. And the majority of the time, you don't even see the red flags until, I mean, you're in the thick of it. So it's kind of like having that honeymoon phase and then that person turning super controlling, you know, where are you going? I have to know where you're going. I have to know who you're going with and controlling every aspect of your life. Yes. And, you know, it. they were married for 10 years. So... Who's to say how long it was into that 10-year marriage and relationship that he actually started escalating things to where he was putting hands on her, being more physically aggressive and things like that. But, you know, towards the end, if he was constantly hitting her in the face, uh, beating her with an ashtray, that's, you know. Personally, that would have been the... uh... The second someone would have laid hands on me, that would have been the end for you. I would have been cutting it off. Done deal. See you later. Don't fucking touch me. Don't fucking call me. I don't want to see you again. 
I'd be in prison. <laughs> oh, shit. Getting my three huts and a cop. After Smith's marriage ended with Tina, he immediately went into another relationship with a 15-year-old young woman named Wendy Mottersed. She was also a victim of his violence. It's reported that he would hold her head underwater in the kitchen sink in an attempt to drown her. So here, we're kind of seeing a pattern. Yeah, this dude has a trend with uh, drowning, apparently. Yeah. He has some kind of hang up with water and just holding women's head in a, I don't know how I explain it. So this is the boy, I mean, <clears throat> man, that 16-year-old Kellyanne was dating. So now let's jump back and discuss more on exactly how they met and their early relationship. Smith had met Kelly in 1993 when she was just 14 years old while she was babysitting for some friends. It's actually suspected that Smith began grooming Kellyanne at this time. They kept the relationship a secret until Kelly was 16 years old, which is the age of consent in England, and decided to invite Smith home and introduce him to her parents. Margaret was shocked to see a man in his mid-40s standing in her kitchen. For the obvious reasons of the age difference aside, Margaret wasn't happy to see Kellyanne with Smith because she felt that there was something evil and deeply disturbing about him. Margaret said that when she met Smith, the hairs on the back of her neck went up. And when she recalled this initial encounter with Smith, she stated that she wanted to pick up the nearby bread knife and stab him in the back. This is a decision that Margaret would later regret. Kellyanne and Smith continued with their relationship, seeing each other on and off for several months. And during this time, Kellyanne would spend the night with them and come back home. So she was kind of bouncing back and forth. And when she would return, she was painted in black breezes and bite marks. Margaret and Tommy pled with her to leave Smith. Unfortunately for her, this fell on deaf ears. Because in November of 1995, she moved in with Smith at his home in Gorton. This was the last time that Kellyanne's family saw her alive. Okay, I was in a toxic relationship at one point in my life. I get being afraid to leave someone because you don't know what they're going to do when you do leave. But if your family is telling you, hey, Look at yourself in a mirror. Do you see these bruises? This isn't a good picture for you. You need to get out. You would think that someone, I mean, you would think that she would have listened to her family if she had that close-knit relationship with them. Yeah, I can understand that. But also, plain devil's advocate here, on the other side of the coin, you know, when I think back at teenagers now, they're sniffling, snobbing, ugly crying in the corner over some little teenage boy with a man bun and their heart is just absolutely breaking it's easy for me at 28 to be like oh my god just get over it it's middle school you're gonna be fine but then when I think back to being 13 14 years old like that was the most important thing to me at that point in my life and even though it's dumb or in Kellyanne's situation dangerous that's exactly what she wanted And, you know, 
it's hard to really have the reality of a situation sink in until you're in that situation. And sometimes it takes people a while to really have, you know, take those rose-colored glasses off and see the situation for what it is. But unfortunately, it does change people, and it did change Kellyanne. The once outgoing Kellyanne became withdrawn. She quit a part-time job that she had held at the time. The only correspondence that Kellyanne had with her family was through birthday or anniversary cards that she would send to them, but only Smith had written inside them. So once again, kind of playing on the control your life situation. Um, he did this likely as a ploy to show that the couple was doing just fine and to leave them alone. Now, as we've already discussed, Smith had a history of violence with women, and Kellyanne was no exception to this rule. Yet with Kellyanne, the abuse escalated to a horrifying new level. On April 16, 1996, Smith walked into the Gordon police station and reported that he had accidentally killed Kellyanne in the bathtub after an argument. Smith stated that, despite his best efforts, he was unable to resuscitate her. Officers made their way to Smith's home and found Kellyanne's blood throughout the home and her lifeless body naked in the bedroom. They also quickly discovered that Smith's account of events was a lie and that Kellyanne had succumbed to a death that was painful, violent, and told a much darker story. Smith was immediately arrested and Kellyanne's body was brought in for examination. She was almost unrecognizable. Kellyanne's body revealed that she had suffered from 150 separate injuries. And yes, you heard me right. I said separate. The examiner, William Lawler, stated that he had examined over 600 murder victims' bodies and that Kellyanne's was the worst that he had ever seen and that he had never come across injuries that were so extensive. So I just want to give a little disclaimer here. We're getting ready to cover some of the injuries that were inflicted upon Kellyanne. If you have a weak stomach, I would recommend skipping ahead a little bit. Lawler found that Kellyanne had scalding to her buttocks and left leg, burns on her thigh caused by the application of a hot iron, a fractured arm, multiple stab wounds, multiple stab wounds caused by knives, forks, and scissors, stab wounds inside her mouth, crush injuries to both of her hands, mutilation of her ears, nose, eyebrows, mouth, lips, and genitals, wounds caused by a spade and pruning shears, both her eyes were gouged out, later stab wounds to the empty eye sockets, and partial scalping. Yet he claimed that he just couldn't resuscitate her after drowning in a bathtub. Yeah, yeah. It must have been a heated argument for uh, that whole bulleted list of injuries to occur. I hope it wasn't like over what brand of coffee creamer they picked up at the store because it's a little, little bit of overkill. Yes, very much overkill. And here's the thing. Lawler determined that Kellyanne's eyes had been removed not less than five days and not more than three weeks 
before her death. That's a pretty, that's five, you know, five to 15 days. Yeah, almost half of a month that she could have just been without eyes. Yes. Yes. When I saw that quote, I, I just wanted to vomit. I mean, could you, I mean, could you really imagine living without your eyes for five to three weeks? No, no. I couldn't imagine having like, even like a degenerative disease that some people have Mm -hmm. where they slowly over time lose their eyes. I couldn't imagine that. You know, you're just, your, your eyesight and your vision diminishing day by day. But to just go from one day seeing the world in vivid, you know, living color, and then everything's black, on top of enduring everything else that she was put through by Smith. Kellyanne had also been starved, and she lost around 20 kilograms, which is about 44 pounds in weight. And she hadn't received water for several days before her death. Kellyanne's cause of death, get this, was drowning. So at least part of Smith's story was right. So she was drowned, but after she had been beaten in the head with the shower head. Right, so she was starved for days. I mean, it has to be days if she lost 44 pounds in weight. Oh, yeah, and going back to the eyes, I mean, five days to three weeks, so this happened, all of this torture we're going to see happen over a period of three to four weeks. Yeah. So. So, Having your eyes gouged out, being starved, not having any water, and then among the other bulleted list of things that happened to her, to initially just be beaten over the head with a shower head, and then shoved under the water to drown. Right. And there was also some little tidbits, but again, there wasn't a whole lot of information on this case, and what I could find was kind of spotty. But they said that he had also, like, he would keep her tied to a radiator by her hair. Her hair? Yes. And you gotta think, she was probably so, I mean, she was starved, so she had to be weak. She probably couldn't have fought back if she wanted to. No, no, it's pretty much a lay there and take it situation because she can't see. She's had no type of nutrition, nothing. So I couldn't imagine that she could even rest at night. Oh no, she's probably scared to death. And you know, just waiting for what's gonna happen next. I just couldn't imagine. It's terrible. So, after Smith had been arrested and Kellyanne's body had been examined, the trial for Kellyanne's murder began on November 12, 1997. This is when Margaret and Tommy learned that Dave Smith was actually James Patterson Smith for the first time. Peter Openshaw, the prosecutor in this case, explains that Kellyanne had been subjected to weeks of unimaginable torture at the hands of a monster and described Kellyanne's death as a merciful end to her torment. I would say death is better than living through that every day. Smith tried to convince the jury that Kellyanne would dare him to torture her, explaining how she would mock his dead mother and she would emotionally bully him. 
And Smith also claimed that Kellyanne would put him through hell, winding him up, and that she had a bad habit of hurting herself to make it look worse on him. So now he's playing like he's the victim of this. And I mean, he has a history of this behavior, so it's going to be hard for him to argue and try to turn this around and blame it on her. I mean, how could you even try to blame her in the first place when, buddy, there was a whole list of stuff that you did to her for possibly 15 days. Considering the condition that they found her in and Lawler's examination, there's no way that anybody would have asked for that. No. So the jury at Manchester Crown Court took one hour to find Smith guilty of Kellyanne's murder. Smith was sentenced to a life imprisonment with a minimum term of 20 years. The judge, Mr. Justice Sachs, stated, This has been a terrible case, a catalog of depravity by one human being upon another. You are a highly dangerous person. You are an abuser of women, and I intend, so far as it is in my power, that you will abuse no more. The jury was provided with professional counseling to help them deal with the distress of seeing the photographs of Kellyanne's injuries and the sickening violence of the case. All jurors accepted the counseling, which is saying something. Oh yeah, there's not been too many cases that I've heard of through other podcasts or, you know, through forensic files or anything like that on television that there's been counseling offered after the trial but I could only imagine as part of the prosecution's case them showing her body the crime scene I I couldn't imagine you know it would be hard to walk around with and you would have to take bleach to your brain to get rid of that Margaret and Tommy set up a local branch of SAM, which stands for Support After Murder or Manslaughter, to help other parents, and they actually found comfort in helping out other families. This is a registered charity offering support to those bereaved by murder or manslaughter. SAM is one of the oldest and most established charities working in the field of traumatic bereavement and is one of the only charities providing national coverage in this field. Margaret and Tommy campaigned for Smith to remain in prison. Sadly, Margaret Bates passed away December 17, 2020 due to respiratory failure. Margaret leaves behind her husband, Tommy, and two sons, Andrew and Paul. James Patterson Smith is eligible for parole this year. We will provide an update as soon as we hear any news. If you or a loved one is suffering from domestic abuse, act quickly and contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline by calling 1-800-799-7233 or text START to 88788. They are available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Contacts to the hotline can expect highly trained expert advocates to offer free, confidential, and compassionate support, crisis intervention information, education, and referral services in over 200 languages. 
I also know for a fact that if you happen to be in a domestic violence situation and you want out now, you want out quickly, you need help now, you can call 911 and ask for a large pepperoni pizza. The operator will know what you're talking about. They will not have you give away any sort of information. They'll be like, you know, is there someone in the house? Ask for this on your pizza. You'll ask for that if that's the case. They'll ask if they have a weapon. They'll ask you to say something so that it keeps it confidential so that the person you're with doesn't know what you're doing. Thanks for listening to Two Jane Does. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Remember to tune in every Monday at 6 p.m. as we dive into a new case. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review so that way others can notice us too. Catch us on Facebook at 2 Jane Does, where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts. If you have any cases that you want us to cover and go into detail with, you can leave us a message on our Facebook page. Or if you just happen to wind up on our website, you can send us a message there.